Welcome everyone to today's morning class. We're on chapter 16 of Vedanta Treaties, Use and Abuse of Religion. Does anyone have any questions? Okay. So before we start today's class, there's something I want to mention to all of you. We're now getting deeper into this subject and it is sort of expected that you all have a reasonable understanding of the basic foundation of the subject. I know some of you may have joined halfway through, you know, uh, in different, at different stages. So the point I'm trying to make is, please if, ask me if you don't understand something. Don't understand a particular word, a concept, feel free to ask. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't think it's a silly question or be shy about it. It doesn't matter how basic it is. What does vastness mean? I have to explain, I'll explain again. I'm happy to go over it again. Because you're all devoting your time every Sunday in learning this subject. So be true to yourself and rise above your ego. Doesn't matter, just ask. I won't think any less of you. And you shouldn't worry about what other people think. Yeah, because it's for your own uh, understanding and development. Okay, we're all developing as a group and no one should be left behind. We should all develop together. So just feel free. So this chapter we started is about religion. Religion comes from the Latin word religare, which means to bind back, to rejoin. So to bind back or join back, meaning that we have separated from something. Doesn't it? If it means to rejoin, then that means we've separated from something. What is it that we have separated from? Anyone? Human beings. Human beings. Yeah, Meghna? Yourself. Ourself. Separated from yourself. Ourself. What is this self? It's the consciousness that allows you to hear. Your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your nose to smell, your tongue to taste, your fingers to touch. The consciousness that makes, allows your mind to feel, your intellect to think. So the practice of religion correctly 
results in you joining back and becoming one with this consciousness you call the self. The self, Brahman, Atman, God, doesn't matter what you call it. That is our true nature, our true personality. So religion allows you to get back to that state. Swami Ramatita, he explains, religion is essentially a mysterious process by which the mind and intellect reaches back and loses itself in the inscrutable source, the great beyond. I'll repeat that. Religion is essentially a mysterious process by which the mind and intellect reaches back and loses itself in the inscrutable source, the great beyond. So any attempt to join back to this source is called religion, true religion. And what separates us from our true self? What is it that separates from us? From joining back? Yeah, Meghna? Desires. Your desires. It's your desires that stop you from going back to, the, to yourself. So the practice of religion helps you to reduce your desires so that you can ultimately attain that oneness. If that's the barrier, then we need something to remove that. And that's what religion does. So you're already the self, but it's covered with desires. So much that you, you've lost touch of it. You've lost touch of your original personality, the self, because of the desire, for the desires. The more desires, the further you're away from it. The less desires, the nearer you are. So we need religion to remove those desires. And besides removing the desires, it rehabilitates your personality, the mind and intellect, from the gross to the subtle. As you remove your desires, your mind becomes more and more subtle because you identify more with the self. We said last week that, first of all, is there any questions at that point? Does everyone understand the role of religion? Deepa, role of religion, what is it? It's a way to get back to yourself. What does it help you do? By reducing your desires. Thank Reduce you. Reduce your desires. Reduce your desires. Religion is a technology that if practice reduces your desires. So last week we said, how do you approach religion? We have to approach it like any other scientific subject that we may study, chemistry, physics, maths. We have to approach it in that way, meaning it needs to be studied and practiced methodically. 
And we're going to actually talk about that today in today's class. Just approach it methodically. Most religions have three parts to it. Prayer and rituals, which is one. Knowledge and seva, service. And we must choose out of the three, the aspect of the religion that is suited to our inner nature. So we have to choose in proportion to our nature, our swadharma. Everyone's nature is different. Swadharma is your inner makeup, your own inner nature. Paradharma is alien to your nature. So we need to choose out of the three that is according to our swadharma, our nature. And if you do that, and you'll progress, develop quicker on the spiritual path. We also discussed that our inner nature is based on the strength of the mind and intellect. If your mind is stronger, then you are an emotional, devotional person. So the path of bhakti is suitable to your nature, path of devotion. If your intellect is stronger, then you need then you are an intellectual, a man who needs knowledge. So the path of jnana is suitable to your nature. Or if both mind and intellect are balanced, then you're a man of action. You need the path of karma yoga. We also said that no being is a hundred percent intellectual or devotional or service orientated. So we need to proportion the three disciplines based on our nature. And once you've done that, by practicing these disciplines in the right combination, the result is you reduce the bulk of your worldly desires. It's your worldly desires that keep you separated. So these disciplines help you to reduce those worldly desires. Then with most of the desires removed, you're then prepared for single pointed meditation. And then through that practice of meditation, you become one with the self, your true being. You reach enlightenment. So that's what we covered last week. Any questions? Any clarifications? Yeah, Damesh. I remember, I think it was a long time ago that you had like a set of questions that would help us find out which one we, what percentage we were of each. It would be helpful if you could resend that now. It now, but um, I will have a, I'll have a look for that. Uh, the personality chart, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No worries. I'll, um, I'll dig that out for you. Um, but you will have an idea of what you're attracted to as far as spiritual, spirituality is concerned. Is it knowledge that helps you to understand God better? Is it devotion? Is it uh, karma? You will have an, a rough idea. For example, a lot of you 
understand this subject and you can be regarded as uh, the percentage of being intellectual is greater. You need knowledge, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So you can sort of understand that you're intellectual, but what percentage? That's something you have to work out. Yeah. A devotional person, wholly devotional, would not be in this class. They find it very difficult to sit for an hour to listen to this. I don't know what he's talking about. Where's Krishna? Let me sit and pray. So this is, so the fact that you're here, you know that you're majority intellectual. Any other questions before we start today's topics? Yeah, Vanita? this right in my understanding that you do need a proportion of each part so you need some you know, whether you're high with the gyan or bhakti yeah. but you need some of each right you can't just be solely one <clears throat> absolutely no one is a hundred percent i think i mentioned that no being is a hundred percent intellectual or hundred percent devotional or hundred percent service orientated you need to proportion the three disciplines based on your inner nature. So you may be 65% intellectual, you need knowledge, 65% you need knowledge, 20% you need to pray, and the balance, you need to do karma, service. So if you proportion that correctly, then you will develop spiritually. Is that okay, Benita? Yeah. Any other questions? You got frozen there for a second, Venita. Did you? Is that okay? So, do you, do you have to figure that out for yourself as you have to figure go it on in your journey? Yeah. Does it only, come to you, or only you can figure that out? <laughs> no one else can do it for you. Not even your partner can do it for you. <laughs> That's something you have to think about. But as I said. The fact that you're finding this knowledge interesting and it's helping you think of the higher and developing your thoughts, that means that you're majority intellectual and you already will develop. But if you want to develop um, more quicker, then the other two you need to do in various proportion as well. And then that will allow you to develop much faster. Right now, you may only be um, facilitating 70% of your personality. Yeah. Any other clarifications? Did everyone understand that? Yeah, great. Any other clarifications? Sil has one. Say that knowledge will enable us to understand the practices of, for example, um, bhakti that we're doing or the reasoning behind why we're doing service. Um, yeah. Therefore, that's why knowledge would be essential yeah. for the path. Absolutely. So we're covering that today in today's class, actually. Uh, still saying is knowledge um, essential or 
also complementary? And, and the answer is yes, we're going to cover that today. Regardless of what percentage of which one you're more of, knowledge is, in such, is in essential. Even if you're a devotional person, you need to understand what you're devotional towards. And a better understanding. So knowledge is important in all cases. But I think we're covering a bit of that today. Any other questions? Okay, so today's topics. The, the next two topics uh, are titled Positive Religion and Negative Religion. So what would be positive religion? Well, how would you be practicing? Yeah, Venita? If that religion takes you further in your understanding where you're not stagnant and just performing the same thing but not moving or forward in it. So religious practices that takes you towards the self is positive religion. Religious practices that does not help you develop towards the self is negative religion. Yeah, and we're going to cover both aspects. I think today's class will cover positive religion. Next week, it'll be negative. So any practices that you do that takes you closer to the self is positive. Okay. Where's Ravi? Ravi, first paragraph, please. Positive religion. Religion provides you the technique of discovering your supreme self within Every step you take in life towards your union with the self would be positive religion. Your desires are responsible for the gulf created between you and the real self. Hence, you would be practicing positive religion when you use it to eliminate your desires. The spiritual courses help you achieve this. Bhakti yoga Path of devotion improves the quality of desires. Jnana yoga, path of knowledge, changes their direction. And karma yoga, path of action, reduces their bulk. So, as you said, religion is a technique that helps you discover the self. Right now, we don't know what the self is. We have some idea now after these classes. You don't know how to attain the self. What are the barriers between you and the self, your desires? So therefore, religious practices help you reduce your desires, as we've mentioned. And the three practices given to us is Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion. Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge. Right now we are practicing Jnana Yoga. Karma Yoga, path of action. So these three practices are given to us. And if we practice them correctly, the result is that our desires get reduced. Why three practices, anyone? Why three practices given to us? Why not four? Why not five? Why not one? Yeah, Neelam? Because we have the mind, the body, and the intellect. So it appeals yep. to all three. We have three equipments that make up a human being. The mind, the body, mind, and intellect. So therefore, we have been given three paths, three practices. 
So we'll now take up each one and discuss how to practice them correctly. What is being bhakta? What is a jnani? What is a karma yogi? We're going to discuss that in more detail now. Yeah. Just raise your hand if there's any questions. Bhakti yoga is the course of devotion where your mind surrenders to the supreme being that seems to hold the world together. When your feelings rise from the secular to the sublime, the thoughts engrossed in the affairs of the world get gradually displaced by the thought of divinity. The change in the quality of thought helps to eliminate your mundane thoughts and desires. The Bhakti Yoga, a course of devotion. What is Bhakti Yoga? What does that say? Bhakti Yoga is what? What is Bhakti Yoga? Vanita? Would it be like uh, singing songs or some kind of something that you would physically do, like as in verbally, some kind yeah. of verbal? Yeah, yeah, correct. People do bhakti yoga by singing bhajans. What else? Uh, as based on that paragraph, what is bhakti yoga? Nilam, did you have your hand? Sorry, I get by bhakti yoga, I think it's. A pure devotion comes from love. Love, okay, yeah. Thank you, Jyoti. Nilam, you had something? It's, it's, well, it's influencing the mind. So it's um, raising your thinking to a higher level beyond the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. All those things you've all mentioned helps to raise your mind. Yeah, from the mundane world to something higher. Your mind surrenders to God. The creator of the world and all beings. Your mind surrenders to that higher being. It places your mind on something higher beyond the world when you're practicing devotional. See, when you're doing bhajans, as Vanita said, when you're, Jyoti said, love, um, rituals, you're thinking of something beyond the world, you're thinking of something higher. So it projects your mind on something beyond the world. By doing this, the result is worldly thoughts are replied, replaced by thoughts of God, by thoughts of divinity. That's bhakti yoga. So whenever you're practicing bhakti yoga, your mind is on something beyond, something higher, God, divinity. So what happens is when you're thinking of that higher, that divinity, you're not thinking of the world. Therefore, your worldly thoughts, desires get reduced. They're replaced by thoughts of divinity. That's the process of how bhakti yoga allows you to think of that higher. See, when we pray, Hindus, Christians, 
What do we do unconsciously? What do we do when we pray? What do we do? First thing you do when you pray. We just did a prayer just now before class. What did everyone do? Yeah, Vanita? Close your eyes and put your hands together. Close your eyes and put your hands together. You do that unconsciously. Meaning, to seek God, we have to go within. You close your eyes. You're blocking out the world. It's not in the world. So you close your eyes. You're going within. Your hands are closed together. They're pointing up. Your fingers are pointing up. means it is above, beyond the world. That's what it signifies. The Muslims, they hold their hands pointing up like that. Once again, it means it is beyond, above the world. We can say it in heaven. So that's what it signifies. To practice bhakti yoga, you don't need to go to a particular temple, sit cross-legged for hours doing mara, doing bhajans. You don't need to do that to be a devotional person. By doing that, it may help certain people, but it's not necessary. In simple terms, how can we practice devotion all the time? Anyone? You don't need to do those things. How can you practice, be devotional all the time? Anyone? Think out the box. Be unselfish. You're just um, giving, aren't you? Thinking of the higher, everything you do, not for gain. Said it, but no one heard it. I want you to think. Any idea? What can you? Come on, anything doesn't matter. Nilam, I want you um, just to think. For for me, it'd be just recognizing the the sense. Um, sorry, the self in everyone else. So recognizing, you know, the God in everyone. So trying to treat people that would automatically make me think of something higher. That's very good. You're right. What else? That is one aspect. Thinking of the self in all beings. What else? That is being devotional. She's thinking of God. The God principle in that person. Yeah, Vinita? What do you say that you know that you have to be detached against everything that is in the world? Like you always have to think you're just, as you say, like you're just, you're not involved in what you're doing. It's just something as a character you have to remember that each time you do something okay, being detached from the world remembering to be detached fair enough anything else something a bit more simpler those you're all both right but it's difficult to practice all the time someone swears at you you can't think oh it's the self in him that's making him swear at me <laughs> you forget for that moment <laughs> so we, we're talking about something that we can practice all the time Nikisha Maybe dropping all your desires. Dropping your desires, yeah. Shilavin? Uh, respect everybody the same as you respect yourself. You're all in the same sort of ballpark, Dharmesh. 
question. Question. Question what? What you're doing. What you're doing. Okay. When you question Kevil. your action, you think of God. Okay. Fair enough. Kevil. So I was going to say that uh, bhakti yoga is supposed to cater for people for them for people's minds, and more specifically, it's towards your emotions and your feelings. So if you're able to channel your emotions and your feelings towards thinking of something higher, then it doesn't matter whether you're doing that in a temple or doing it at home or while you're taking a walk and you're focusing on on that aspect. I don't know. I think that's right. I don't know. You are right. But the question I was asking is how can you channel that thought all the time on that higher? Be selfless. Selfless. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Feeling devotion in simple terms is to have a feeling of gratitude. All of us can practice that at all the time, having a sense of gratitude. Whatever we are doing, working, eating, playing, be grateful. Think of the higher. I am grateful for all that I have. We have a lot to be grateful for, by the way. We forget. Just think for a moment. Everything I have, where I am, we have a lot to be grateful for. Everything around you should remind you of that higher, if you train yourself to do so. Whoever is making the sun rise, you see the sun? Whoever is making the sun rise every day, whoever has made this climate just right for me to live, I surrender, I'm grateful. You see the sun, you can have that sort of attitude. Whoever you're eating, whoever's provided food for me, I'm grateful. This roof over my head, many people don't have a roof over my head, over their head, I'm grateful. This family that surrounds me, that loves me, I'm grateful. This is every, this is every day. Whoever makes my heart beat, pushes the blood around my body so I can be alive and enjoy this beautiful world. I'm grateful. The oxygen that I breathe, I can't survive without oxygen. Whoever's providing this, I'm grateful. Who's looking after my body when I feel sick? It just recovers automatically. Who does that? Whoever does that, I'm grateful. Whoever has created me and this wonderful world to live in, to this being, I surrender. This is devotion. You don't need to be in a temple. You don't need to be doing anything. You can do that looking out the window. And that's being devotional in everyday life. And the more you do that, the more your mind is on the higher, no matter what you are doing. So that is devotional. Any questions? So this should come naturally to you. If you're attuned to that, it should come naturally to you. You're no longer thinking of your desires. 
if I get that, God, give me this. Forget that. Just think of all the things that he's already given you. So that's bhakti yoga in a nutshell. Everyone can practice that. Any questions? Is that, is that clear? Is that make sense? Okay. So that's bhakti yoga. Jnana yoga. What is jnana? How do you practice jnana yoga? Jnana yoga is the course of knowledge which maintains the thought of supreme reality in all transactions of life, wherein the intellect keeps the mind focused on the eternal while it is engaged in the ephemeral world. As a result, the direction of thought shifts from the finite world to the infinite self. Here again, your varied thoughts get slowly absorbed into the one powerful thought of reality and your thoughts and desires pertaining to the world drop off. Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge. So Bhakti Yoga, we said, was more for people whose mind was more powerful than the intellect. So therefore, they'd be more devotional. Jnana Yoga, we said last week, where the intellect was more powerful than the mind. So therefore, intellect needs knowledge. The path of knowledge is basically gaining knowledge of the self. What is the self? Who is God? Studying. Understanding. As we said earlier, Sittal asked the question, it does not matter if you're a Bhatta, devotional or karma yogi, man of action. You still need knowledge of the self. Even as a bhakti yoga, as a bhakta, a devotional person, you still need to channel and understand what am I being devotional towards. You need the understanding. It's the intellect that keeps the mind focused on the higher while it is acting in the world. The mind will get involved whatever you're doing. The intellect has to think of that higher and channel the mind in that thought. So, once again, with the knowledge gained of the higher, your thoughts are on that divinity whilst you're acting in the world. And once again, the result is your desire towards the world get reduced. Now, you have to understand, all these things work together. Just as you, as a human being, function one with the body, mind, and intellect as one. So all these are interconnecting. Is there any questions on Jnana Yoga? It's gaining knowledge and understanding. Ravi, you had a question? Yeah. Um Obviously, Jnana Yoga is gaining knowledge, but it's also making sure where you're constantly questioning where that knowledge is coming from. Otherwise, if I'm right, you could end down a path where, I don't know, if you turn knowledge, incorrect knowledge into believing that's the true existence or something. So, I mean, I, 
few examples of where people change religion and so forth. But they've done, they've done their so-called research, knowledge and questioning, but end up in different paths. But knowledge gained has to help you develop and reduce your desires. That's the ultimate um, measure. Is my thoughts on the higher? Or is it on the world? The knowledge allows you to keep the mind thinking of that higher. See, even when I said devotion, be, have, have gratitude to everything that you have. You need to have knowledge to understand what have I got? What am I grateful for? The mind will be in devotion and will feel that. But the intellect has to guide it to think, what is it that I have? It's all interconnecting. We'll do karma yoga and then I'll give you like a little synopsis of it. Then you'll have a better understanding. Karma yoga. Karma yoga is the course of action dedicated to a high ideal beyond your self-centered interest in life. The highest ideal being self-realization. The mind is fixed on the ideal the intellect directs all actions towards the attainment of the ideal. Consequently, the thoughts and desires for the world do not sustain themselves. Karma Yoga, path of action, where the mind and intellect is balanced. They're both sort of in par with each other. So for, for a person with that, with, of that term, makeup, he needs karma yoga. You act in the world with a higher ideal. So not for your own self-centered interest. Seva, service. You help others. That's karma yoga. After you, karma yoga. And the reason you do this you're backed with the knowledge and understanding that the reason I need to do this is because my mind and intellect is balanced. I need karma yoga to reduce my desires. That by acting in this way, thinking of, of others rather than myself, I'm reducing my desires. So you're acting with that understanding. Karma yoga. When you're serving others, you're not serving yourself. You're not thinking of yourself. You're not increasing your own desires. That's how, that's how Seva works. That's how Karma Yoga works. And the goal is to reduce your desires. Doesn't matter how you do it. So as I said, they're all linked. Karma, Bhakti, Jnana. That's why you have to do all three in proportion because we all have a body, mind, and intellect. Any questions? I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but by the end of today, you'll have a clearer understanding. Three paths based on three equipments, all catering to reduce your desires. That's how you need to see it. Any clarifications? Okay.
we'll have a conclusion in a minute. Megna? The general idea, therefore, is to fix your attention and concentration upon the inner self in and through your transactions of life. Let the body be employed in your obligatory functions. Your mind feel its various emotions. Your gross intellect entertain multifarious thoughts of the self within. Thus, one part of your intellect should ever be glued to the self while your equipments are engaged. Can I stop you there? Yeah. You missed that line. Sorry. An important line. Sorry. Can you start again? Sorry. Yeah. From the beginning? Yes, please. The general idea, therefore, is to fix your attention and concentration upon the inner self in and through your transactions of life. Let the body be employed in your obligatory functions your mind feel its various emotions. Your gross intellect entertain multifarious thoughts of the world, but your subtle intellect must remain anchored to the self within. Thus, one part of your intellect should be ever glued to the self while your equipments are engaged in their respective activities. One wonders how this could be put into actual practice in life. Okay, so three disciplines, while you're thinking, feeling, acting, where are your thoughts? What is your thought fixed on? That's the bottom line, where are your thoughts? If your thoughts are fixed on the higher, God, the self, And all other thoughts, desires towards the world lose their strength. When you're fixed on the higher thoughts, thoughts towards the world, your desires lose their strength. The, the thoughts of the higher replaces the thoughts of desires of the world. Your thoughts are no longer on your desires. They're replaced by the thoughts of divinity. The higher, it's the higher that operates the lower. They lose their power. The desires lose their power because the thought of God is much stronger, much greater than the desires pertaining to the world. Especially if you're looking at becoming self-realized, gaining the self. Fix, fix that as your goal of life. Everything else loses its if your thoughts are not on that higher, the self, you get lost in perceptions, emotions and thoughts, worldly thoughts, and all that does is create more endless desires, binds you to the world. So you have to decide, what do I want to, what do I want to gain in this life? Where are my thoughts? So what it's saying is, while your gross intellect thinks and functions in the world, let the subtle intellect be channeled and think of the higher. Now, does everyone understand the difference between gross and subtle intellect? Who doesn't know what the subtle intellect is? 
Does everyone know what the subtle intellect? We'll go over it anyway. Can someone explain what the gross intellect and subtle intellect is? What is their function? Who knows? Gross and subtle intellect. Damage, gross and subtle intellect. Any any thoughts pertaining to the world, you use you can go gross intellect. Any thoughts pertaining to beyond the world, spiritual, divinity, God, you're using your subtle intellect. When someone doesn't have any thought of God who is worldly, I don't believe in God, they don't have any subtle intellect available to them. The more desires, the less subtle intellect you have available to you. Everyone has a subtle intellect. It's covered by desires. So, he's saying, while your gross intellect thinks be in the world, let the subtle intellect think of that higher. Simpler than it sounds. See, when you, all of you, when you think of God, you're using a subtle intellect. When we're talking of the self, divinity, we're using a subtle intellect. When you're thinking of work, business, what movie to watch tonight, you're using your gross intellect. Any thoughts in the world, you're using your gross intellect. That person is so intellectual. He's got three degrees, powerful gross intellect. That person is so spiritual. He's always thinking of God, powerful, subtle intellect. That's how they operate. Yeah, everyone clear on that? Gross and subtle. So he's saying, while you're acting in the world and you're thinking, your gross intellect is thinking of the world, let your subtle intellect be channeled, think of the higher. It's a practice you have to achieve. But how is this possible? You're cooking, cleaning, working in the office, watching TV. How can your subtle intellect be fixed on that higher, that thought of God. Any ideas? How can we do that? How can you think of gratitude as one item, one indication, as I mentioned before? That was one way. So there's an example given. The next paragraph gives an example of how you can do this. It won't happen suddenly. Straight after this class, you're not going to be able to do it. It's something you have to practice. But this is what it's saying that you can, how you can develop on this path by practicing in this way. Megna. The practicality of this discipline is brought out by the example of Indian classical music. In a public concert, the musician has a background note playing behind him all through his performance. It is called Shruti. He renders a variety of songs with different ragas, tunes, and thalas, beats. But all along his performance, he is attuned to the Shruti 
the note behind. One part of his concentration is always on the note. He keeps that invariable while he goes through the variable songs, ragas and dalas. A classical musician will not sing without the shruti, whereas a lay person would find the background note disturbing while he sings. Similarly, you would bring out the chaste music of life in you, adopt this classical method of living. Let your subtle intellect be attuned to the supreme self while your body, mind and gross intellect are engaged in their activities. Fix your concentration on the unchanging, pure consciousness while you go through your changing perceptions, emotions and thoughts. That is classical living. It brings out the melody, harmony in life. Does anyone know about this Shruti background note that is a continuous note? No? Don't worry, we have an example. We'll play you a small portion. Ravi. Now listen carefully, yeah? It's not very good quality. Uh, I had to play it on my CD player and just record it with my phone and then I had to send it to Ravi and he's gonna play it. But basically what it is, 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 is any, any classic classical... Okay, play, 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 Ravi. play Ravi. tune started, I don't know if you noticed, that it started with a, a single note in the background. Yeah, that is the Shruti. Without that, the, the singer cannot sing. The mind is constantly on that background note, and based on that, they then sing. Without it, they cannot sing. So that is a Shruti. All classical singers, that's how they sing. It's quite, like I said, it's, if you're not used to it, you'd find it annoying. But you listen to any proper classical piece of music, it'll have that shruti in the background. So it's saying in a similar way, while you're acting in the world, let there be the consciousness, the self is your shruti. Your mind is always focused on that while you're acting. Fix your concentration on the pure consciousness while you're going through your changing perceptions, emotions and thoughts. That is classical living. 
So all these three disciplines, it channels your thoughts towards the higher. Throughout the day, just be aware, where are my thoughts? Any questions? Did everyone understand that example with the classical music? I thought it'd be easier just to play a piece then you'll know straight away. Otherwise you have to try and, if you haven't heard it before, then you'd find it difficult to understand. Any questions? So these three disciplines, they allow you to uh, channel your mind and your intellect on that higher. That's basically it. So you have to have your thoughts on that higher, that God principle, the divinity, while you're acting in the world. That's basically what it's trying to say. Now, one other, one other caution. You've all now understood that. And he says, right, I'm ready to uh, live in this way. There is something you have to be careful about. Magna. Adopting the proper spiritual discipline, you command peace and happiness. Apportion the spiritual courses according to your personal requirement. Make sure the quantum is not too much or too little. The proportion of the exercises is as important as the dosage of medicine <coughs> is to cure a disease. The medicine prescribed may be proper, but it will not cure the disease if the dis dosage is improper. As you progress in your self-development, pitch up higher ideals, self-realization being the ultimate. Continuing your spiritual practices, thus in accordance with your nature and capacity, your desire should drop off gradually. When the mind is freed from, des from desires, it becomes balanced, prepared for meditation. You can then apply your mind to single-pointed meditation. With sustained meditation, you shall attain enlightenment. It's saying that you've been given this prescription, bhakti, karma, and jnana, knowledge. But how much should you take? You need to be careful. How much spiritual practice is also important? Has to be based on your requirements. How much do I need? Just like you go and see a doctor. You have problems sleeping in the night. You go to see a doctor. I've got insomnia. Doctor, please help me. You can't sleep. He gives you the appropriate meditation, medication, sleeping tablets he gives you, for example. Take one tablet every night. That's your dosage. You can't afford to take more than that. You take more than that, you may go into permanent sleep. You have to proportion it, one tablet a night. Similarly, when you take up spiritual practice, these disciplines, you have to take them based on your capacity. Initially, maybe small dosages. You can increase it as you go along. You can't overdo it. Can you, can you imagine? You can't overdo it either. You can't underdo it. Proportion it according to your requirements. 
why not? Why why can't you overdo it? Any idea? Underdo it, you understand. Every, you spend five minutes every day reading. You're going to get the very very limited uh, understanding. <laughs> yeah, very right fair. You overdo it. You still have to act in the world. So if you overdo something, probably people will think you're absolutely off your head, basically. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Why overdo it? Or can't overdo it? Yeah, Thomas. It's like reading the book. You know, you can read the whole chapter, but do you actually understand anything in that chapter? Whereas if you only read the one paragraph and you understand the paragraph, it's more beneficial. Okay. All of you have, uh, have taken the mid middle path. I'm going to explain something else to you. If you took more than one sleeping tablet in the night, what will happen? You'll have a very good sleep, but it could have detrimental effect on your body. Isn't it? You take four tablets in the night. You may not wake up for three days. Similarly, with spiritual disciplines, you've got to be very, very careful. I'll give you an example. When I first joined the ashram, we, it's a very um, intellectual program. In the morning, we wake up, we study for an hour and a half. We've got lecture in the morning for an hour and a half. Uh, we've got afternoon studies. And in the evening, we have another class or we have group discussion. It's quite a lot. First, after about the first week, I was getting headaches. I couldn't understand. I, I don't suffer from headaches. I never had a headache in my life. I was getting headaches. So I saw the doctor there and he said, lay off for a couple of days. Take it easy. Don't do your morning study. I wasn't used to thinking in that amount of capacity. My capacity for thinking was only 20%. I was now thinking for 50, 60%. And the intellect saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm not ready for this overdoing it, you're not ready for it, detrimental effect. There was a couple of instances where people overdid it so much, studying, reading the book, that actually they started going a bit loopy. They were actually asked to leave before they did more harm to themselves. And so I already told them, don't, don't pick any book up for six months. Overstretch your intellect. I know you don't think it's possible, but trust me, I've seen it. You can overdo it, which is detrimental. That's the intellect. You do service. You spend 100% serving others. What about your family, your needs? You need to attend to that too. Your responsibilities, your obligations. There has to be a balance. Otherwise, you're not helping yourself. You cannot spend the whole day in prayer. You have to attend other areas of your personality as well. So this is when you overdo it. So you have to approach the disciplines and practice according to your nature in the right dose. Then it will have the right effect on your personality and you'll benefit from the practice. It's not, see, these, all these things are quite complicated. You have to put a lot of effort in. We fought religion, you go into temple, you sit for half an hour, pray, and you go, okay, that's it, I'm religious. It's not. 
This is more complicated than chemistry, physics, and maths. <laughs> you have to think about it, then apply it. If you do it properly, you will develop by leaps and bounds. And like anything, to achieve anything in life, materially or spiritually, you need to put the right effort. Only then you'll be successful. And if you do all those things, then the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna, he says in verse 22, chapter 9. And verse 22, chapter 9 is the geometrical center of the Bhagavad Gita. If we take the center of the Bhagavad Gita, it's verse 22, chapter 9. And this is what he says. Anyan yaschintayan domam ye jana paryupasate desham nitya biyuktanam yoga kesham paham yaham. To those persons who worship me, thinking of nothing else, to those ever seeking union, I grant them yoga, union, supreme bliss. This verse describes the seekers of the ultimate reality, Brahman. Those who pursue and merge with the supreme self. Krishna uses the pronoun me to mean the self in all beings. He supports and promises the state of spiritual enlightenment to those who seek the self. There you go. Krishna has promised that if you do this, you'll reach there. Now, I can't say more than that. The Lord himself has promised you. Follow this path. Perform these three disciplines. And I promise you, you'll get to your goal. That's it. The rest is up to you. Any questions? A lot to take in, I know. Read it paragraph by paragraph. Think about it. Try to understand it. Absorb it. Try practicing a little bit of it. And as you see the benefits, that will encourage you to do it more. So, right now, it's abstract. But if you try a little bit, then you'll encourage you hey, this is working. My desires are reducing. I'm more happier. I'm more settled. I'm more whatever. Not agitated. Try it. Any questions? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, um, I lost a bit of internet connection when you were talking about Shruti. Um, do you have an example of how we can put that into practice in our daily lives? What is it you know, that we can conscientiously do? Or 
you know, to, to be like our Shruti? So it's something you have to develop, as I said. Yeah. You can start by, for example, studying in the morning, picking up a book and reading a um, little bit because the book talks about the self, about spirituality. So that'll give you a little bit of foundation and it'll give you an underlining to the rest of your day. That little bit of knowledge you've taken will help you maybe even up to 12 o'clock. It might help you to think of God until then, you know? And the more you study, the more you develop, the more it'll stay with you throughout the day. That feeling, that thought, in a way that's like a shruti. Uh, gratitude, as I said, being grateful, whatever, getting to a habit of whatever you see around you, to think of that higher, who, who created that bird? That flower looks so beautiful. Who, who, I wonder who, who designed that. You're constantly thinking, channeling your thoughts to something beyond this world, to the self, to the God, to God, to divinity. So you, that's something you have to develop, your own shruti in that way. Just as the singer in the classical piece, without the background note, they cannot sing. You should be waking up every morning thinking of that higher throughout your day while you're functioning. Without that, you should not be functioning. You should not be comfortable. You should not be content. You won't be content. Get yourself into that state. It's a discipline. Which you have to develop. As I said, it doesn't come naturally. But as you perform these disciplines, your, your thoughts are more on that higher. I want to reach that state. You know what? I'm a human being. Very rare you're born as a human being. Let me reach my goal. Let me start in this lifetime at least. Now your focus is on something beyond the world. I think for me, I just think... So about an once Dermish said about his mobile phone that kept him aware. Oh. You're breaking up a bit. We can't hear you. No. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah, Dermish. In the beginning, we used to have like discussion sessions. I was wondering if we could maybe do that with something like every two months, because sometimes we want to speak about or discuss things and we don't want to interrupt your lesson completely or take it off track. Also, after this class, it becomes too much as well, because the dosage for all of, all of us, all of you, is 45 to 50 minutes. After that, I can see most of you are like, when this guy gonna stop talking? I can, <laughs> it's because of the capacity. It's not no one's fault. It's the capacity. You can't, you're not used to thinking for this long, especially on something beyond the world. So that would be really, really useful, which is a group discussion, which we do every day, by the way, in the ashram. Um, it's a matter of time when it's, who's in, how many people are interested, um, when you want to do it, I'm happy to conduct it as a group discussion. Um, even if I did that initially for um, a few weeks, if I was busy, you, you guys could still do it. It's not a problem. Um, 
So is everyone, anyone keen on that? Dharmesh is asking about group discussion. Just put hand, hands up, we'll work out the timing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, we need minimum four to six. Yeah, too many people is also very difficult. Yeah, so we'll work out a time, uh, one evening it'll have to be, because uh, I don't think, uh, if I said seven o'clock in the morning, one morning, it may be, a bit, may be just myself <laughs> or two other, one other person. So we'll do it one evening. I'll let Roby put a message out and then we'll take it from there. So, had a um, so how do you gauge your capacity to think I'm not actually progressing, mm -hmm. underachieving or going loopy? You're looking at how do you gauge it? How do you, how do you gauge it? I think um, it's something that you need to be aware of that I can overdo it. Yeah. For example, I can give you an example from the study side. In the morning, when you pick up the book and you study, start off with maybe thirty minutes maximum. See how you feel. If you feel tired, you're losing focus, then cut it down to fifteen minutes. See how you feel. Yeah. yeah, so that's one way of gauging your capacity, intellectual capacity to think of the higher self when you're studying this book. And from that way, you'll be able to gauge what's right for you. Maximum is one hour, by the way. Maximum study is one hour. Bhakti yoga, you'll know when your mind starts wandering away from that Murti, the devotion, thinking of God, your mind starts distracting to other things, you know that's my limit. I can't sit here and pray anymore. That is your limit. And Karma Yoga, you have to balance based on the time you have, based on your obligations, etc. Is that okay? It's something that you will, as you go along, you may have questions, you may have to adjust, but you'll be the judge of it. You know yourself better than anyone else. Okay, we will call it a day now. So we've got something to for look forward to next week. Negative religion, how not to practice religion. So that'll be interesting. And that's a bigger chapter than, bigger topic than what we've covered today, by the way. So that'll be interesting. All the things you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing you all next week.